Hey everyone, we are sharing a new podcast today and every day this week to celebrate our Zen Parenting Summit. Our free and virtual summit began on January 31st and ends on February 4th. And it's based around Kathy's new book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. It comes out on February 1st. In addition to talking about Kathy's book, we have 15 thought leaders over five inspiring days, a great way for parents to start their year with confidence and optimism. Go to the show notes or zenparentingradio.com if you haven't already registered for the summit. Once again, it's free. And enjoy our daily podcast this week where we dive into each chapter of Kathy's new book. All you need to do is register with your first name, last name, and email address. So now on with the show. Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to the Zen Parenting Summit. We're talking about Chakra 5, which is the right to speak and hear truth. Um, Chakra 5 already. Uh, valuing authentic communication. Mm-hmm. It, it, where does it reside, sweetheart? Throat. In the throat. And what color is it? Blue. Blue. And uh, you have a Maya Angelou quote in there. Angelo. Angelo. Mm-hmm. Tell the truth to yourself first and to the children. Why did you pick that quote? Um, well, I feel like it's a self-awareness and then a teaching. You know, like first you, I mean, it's interesting. You and I just did a podcast before we started this about, you know, understanding how you regulate yourself um, and understand telling the truth to yourself, and then you can share mm-hmm. this wisdom with the children. So you break this up into one, two, three, four, five sections. The mm-hmm. first one is self-expression. Mm-hmm. Second one is the art of communication. Mm-hmm. Number three is words or things. Number four is being heard and understood. Mm-hmm. And then finally five, which is learning differences, which I actually love that part. Good. Uh, because we talk about all these different modalities, I guess, that you and I have sometimes played with. Mm-hmm. But let's start with self-expression. Okay. Um, we've been told by society that children are to be seen and not heard, or that boys don't cry and girls don't get angry. Um, that's one thing you share. We learn to stay quiet, to stay safe, to protect ourselves by never sharing what we feel. Mm-hmm. Just wondering if you want to riff off of that. Um. Well, I think the way that I would want to riff off of that is to start with, you know, if you are listening to this one, Chakra 5, then what hopefully you have listened to Chakra 1, 2, 3, and 4. So they are, to me, more foundational in being able to understand Chakra 5 because Chakra 1 is having a sense of belonging, a sense of rootedness, groundedness to where you are, okay, and that you are supposed to be here. And then Chakra 2 is about your emotional awareness, your connection to pleasure, your connection to creativity. Chakra 3 is about your sense of self and your understanding of your own autonomy. Chakra four is about your sense of love and being loved. So it's like your ability to accept love, but also to give love. If those are, none of it's ever perfect, but if you have a pretty good sense of those things, then chakra five most likely is going to be pretty open because you're going to know how to express who you are, right? Because those things, you have a sense of self. I mean, but if you don't feel like you belong, if you don't understand your emotions, if you don't have a sense of self and you don't feel like you're worthy of love, you don't know what to say. 
right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you don't know what to say. Now, there are people who can have their foundational chakras be in pretty good order, but have had certain traumas where they've learned to not speak what they feel. They may know internally, but they've learned to not speak it out of fear of retribution, of, you know, abuse. Um, There are other reasons for this being um, stuck, but a lot of times people refer to chakra five as a bottleneck because think about all these aspects of your, um, (laughs) we are going to remove Karen. Sorry, Karen. And who is that? She's getting on for the Zen talk an hour early. Ah, got it. Okay. I think she, how do you, how do you keep, um, how do you make sure that we're the only ones on? Um, I think I have, well, I mean, I didn't think people would get on an hour and two minutes before we start. They're probably just making sure it works. Or she thinks it's at, um, different time zone. Okay. Um, so anyway, sorry about that. We, we have a, we're wearing a bunch of different hats today. Um, so basically this this self-expression, it being chakra five is a lot easier to understand or to have open and expressive if you have the other aspects of yourself. And when I say in order, I don't like that because it sounds like there's some perfection to it. You have an awareness of your other chakras. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, I wanted to uh, share a quote from this section before we go on to the art of communication. Traumatic experience has a way of morphing into shame. Yeah. Shame tells us that what lives inside of us is flawed and that we need to hide it. Our inner voice is our greatest critic. Mm Mm-hmm tells us that nobody wants to hear uh, what we're saying and it feels risky. It, it, we risk humiliation and harm. It's a vicious cycle of needing to share to release the shame, but being too ashamed to share anything we feel. Isn't that interesting? Yes. So as we know from research, you know, shame can't exist if empathy is involved. And what that means is if we have the ability to share what we most feel ashamed of, and if someone is able to hear it and to validate our experience, shame can't survive. Okay. Mm -hmm. But shame by definition makes us want to avoid everything I just said. Mm -hmm. So the only way to relieve our shame is to discuss it. Mm -hmm. But what shame inherently wants us to do is never discuss it. So that's why we talk about people being brave or courageous when they share something that they're, they, where they feel shame. And the thing that's so interesting about shame is that a lot of times we feel ashamed of things that there's no reason to feel ashamed of. And I'm saying this outside of it, you feel it, or I feel it. Um, but when you share it with someone else, they kind of shine this flashlight on it where they're like, that has nothing to do with you. Like, let's talk about something pretty significant. You were molested or abused as a child and you feel ashamed. It's not your fault. You didn't do it. You, you didn't choose that, that, and, and even if it became something, you know, if there was a relationship that maybe occurred that was, um, you know, inappropriate now in, in looking back, There was a power dynamic where it wasn't, you didn't even know that that was something that was not supposed to be happening. So my whole point is, is that once you share it, it shines light on the fact that there was no reason to feel that shame. There's no reason ever. But do you see what I mean? You have to tell the story to relieve yourself of that shame. Um, The art of communication. Um, I bolded 
content versus context. Okay. So let me quickly give you my definition and you expand on it. Content means what we're saying. Mm -hmm. Content means from what energy are we saying it. Context. You just said content again. Gotcha. Context. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of the foundation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can go on and quote you a bunch of other things, which I will. But what what else do you want to say about the simplicity of that. Well, I think anybody who listens to our podcast knows that's one of the biggest parts is it's never about the words you use. It's where the energy is behind the words. Mm -hmm. And then once that is out there, it's not just about the, um, your intention, it's the impact uh, that it has. So a lot of times we are very focused on, but give me the right words to say, and then I will have a good outcome. Or if my intention was good, then I don't care how it impacted you. And it unfortunately is all four things. You have to think about what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, what your energy is, what your body language is, and then your intention, hopefully it is good, and then how someone receives it is just just as important. What do you think of this? Um, I think that our intention or the impact is more important when we're parenting than it is when we're dealing with other grownups. And I know it's all important, but I feel like when when we're dealing with a coworker, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, they can be responsible for their experience Mm -hmm. of it. Whereas with the kids, I feel like we need to pay even more attention, not to what we we're trying to communicate to them, but instead how it actually landed. What do you think of that? Sure. I mean, I think it's important for many reasons. Number one, just like you said, other adults can have a little more responsibility over their behavior because they're adults Mm -hmm. and their response. The other part is, is the relationship with our kids is probably the most important or one of the most important relationships we have. So we're willing to do a little more investigative work to see how the things we're saying are landing. We're more curious about how we're being received. And then third of all, we have to remember that we are in a teaching modality. Even if we're not intending to teach in that moment, our children are learning from us how to speak and communicate with other people. So yes, like all of those things are true. You go on to say, when my daughters were young and they would take something that was not theirs, you would say, you can't take that. (laughs) This makes no sense to them because they just did take it and it already demonstrated they could. I had to learn to be thoughtful and creative in how I talked to my girls. Um, so what are your thoughts about that? Well, I just think that sometimes we have to realize how our words don't make sense to our kids. And that's just an example. Like my children take a toy from someone else and they come up and show me. And I said, you can't do that, but they just did. So then what's the communication? I see that you've taken that now because that's somebody else's, we're going to go back and give that to them. And this is why that's not a good choice because we want we don't want people to take our things and that doesn't make this person feel good or whatever the situation is, is that I think sometimes we say things and our kids will say, I wish I could come up with some others on the spot right now, but our kids will say, well, that's like, okay, I've got one, always and never. You always do this. You never do this. Those words are so unhelpful in parenting and in any relationship because then what you end up arguing about are times that you actually did do it right or you didn't. And you're not getting your point across, which is in this situation, I'm struggling with your behavior or with what happened rather than you always do this. 
So it's, it's best to avoid those words. Yeah, they're not helpful. Unless it's, I always love you. Mm-hmm. And even, and then explaining that even when I'm upset sometimes, I always yeah, love that, you. Call that an asterisk to yeah. that rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, healthy communication with a partner can be a foundational training ground for parenting. And what I want to say about that is, it, obviously it is, like we're modeling how we talk to how we talk to each other mm-hmm. is how we're modeling how our we're hoping our kids talk to peers, grown-ups, yep. teachers, whatever. Yep. Yep. And you know, it's just so interesting that a lot of parents will be screaming at each other mm-hmm. and then being surprised when their kids are screaming at each other or screaming at them or screaming at yeah. them and they'll like, say i can't believe you're disrespecting me like, and the kids haven't learned any other way to and communicate and if i'm the kid i'm like you disrespected mom yesterday yeah. so aren't we supposed to <laughs> right. you know what i mean it's a do as i say not as i do situation mm-hmm. and and i would love if that was easier meaning i understand why parents are like but i just want it to be because i'm in control and i'm in power and i think that you should just listen to me but it's not the way human beings behave Mm -hmm. so the things i'm telling i'm saying in this book are not about morale i mean hopefully some of it's around morality but i'm not saying that because you have to follow a certain moral code i'm saying it because it's the way humans respond if you yell at them and that's how you teach them that's what they do that's just human behavior sweetie moving on to words or things maya angelo Uh uh-huh says that someday, uh, that words are things. Someday we'll be able to measure the power of words. I think they are things that get on the walls, in your wallpaper, in your rugs, in your upholstery, in your clothes, and finally into you. Yes. You said that for a long time. I know. Well, I, that's one of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard from her. And I heard it probably eight years ago now. It was in a uh, Oprah masterclass. Um, and Maya gave this talk about words and she actually even shared a story about how she believes this so strongly that if somebody in her home tells a joke that is unkind or has a potential to sound at all racist or unfair or unjust, um, she tells them to leave. And Oprah's like, and I've seen it happen. Like she was there and is like, and it's not comfortable. But why she does that or why she did that, because Maya has since passed away, is she believed that words were energy and she didn't want that energy in her home. Mm-hmm. And I have always, I never had the language like Maya Angelou would have, but the reason it struck me is I so believe that about words and I am so careful with words and I don't do it perfectly because people definitely come and say, they say to me, you use this word and it offended me, or don't you understand this word can mean that? And I'm always learning. I'm always in a state of learning, but I sure am thoughtful about it. That's the thing is like, even if I get it wrong, I really, you know, Todd and I have had, we get emails from people who say, Hey, could you not use that word? And we, we don't, if, if it, you know what I mean? Like if it's offensive, we're done. Mm-hmm. We can find another way. There's a, so many words at our fingertips that we can use that why would we use a word that is offensive to a group or culture? So I'm going to take a little departure from the content of your book and just uh-huh. riff about the idea of space and energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we moved into this house, we smudged, right? Mm-hmm. Can you yep. explain what smudging is? Well, it's a... You know, it's a Native American custom. You have to give credit where credit is due to um, uh, take sage um, and other wonderful grasses 
um, and you light them and then you bring them into your home and you, um, it's like a cleaning out. It's like a cleansing. Of an energy that was here before. Mm-hmm. And to me, it, you know, again, it has, it's spiritual in nature to me, but to some people it can be more of just a rite of passage, you know, like I'm just recognizing that we're moving in here. It's kind of like the way, sorry to go into this tab, but like in the way I'm using chakras in this book, you can use chakras as understanding the energy centers of the body very literally, or you can use them as a metaphor mm-hmm. or as just a way to understand and organize this experience. It That's up to you. It's the same with smudging. I find it to be very helpful emotionally and spiritually, but for some it might just be like a what's what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like that we are a we are re, moving a, in new this beginning. House, a new beginning, like recognizing something, being intentional. Um, well, and the reason I bring it up is because before we moved in this house, another family lived here. Yeah, and they had their words exchanged with each other and their energy and their energy. Mm-hmm. And so some people might be like, "Oh, that's dumb. Like I don't understand any of that because it's just a space." But um, and when I first when you first kind of started doing some of these things, I'm like, this is weird. And now I'm like on board. Like, yeah, like let's, let's reset like ritually. That's the language reset. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's cleanse Mm -hmm. all the words and actions and deeds that Mm happen in this room. Let's start fresh. And I always think of like, you know, sorry to be morbid here, but we were just in Vegas yeah, in Mandalay (laughs) Bay. Yeah. That man killed all those people from that room. Yeah. I can't, I, I have a feeling that if I walked into 10 rooms and I walked into the one that that happened in, I have a feeling I would feel that. Possibly. I mean, I don't know that to be true, Mm -mm. but I do feel that that is palpable. Well, it's what I thought you were going to say. The reason why I started laughing, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize you were going to Mandalay Bay, was that we were at a different hotel. And I remember I walked in the room and I'm like, do you sometimes wish these rooms could tell us what's happened in here? (laughs) And you're like, I don't think I do. And I'm like, you're right. Like sometimes, you know, uh, you have to just kind of, but we weren't also having a bad experience Mm -hmm. in that room. We were having kind of, we're so excited to be here. And what kind of, you know, what other people have been in this room? Remember that HBO series? If these walls could talk, yes, yes, that's interesting, yes, too. yeah, because that's the thing. Like, even in the house we're in mm. right now, this this house was built in the 50s, the house that Todd and I live in, and we actually have a picture in our kitchen of the original house. Like, you can't, there's even no expressway behind us, whereas now that we have like three different expressways behind us, like it was, and all the cars in front are from the 50s, and you know, this house has some. Stories. Stories. Sure. And and clearing out with smudging or with any other kind of um, ceremony that you do, mm-hmm. it's not a disregarding or a disrespecting of previous owners. It's a, you were here and we respect that. And now we're going to clear the space and we are going to come in. And for me, that's helpful. Other people don't have to do that. Um, I want to move to a tool that you came up with a long time ago uh-huh. regarding our parenting toolbox uh-huh. is inviting our children to write in a notebook. What is that all about when they have something big to share? Oh, okay. Um, so basically my oldest daughter, uh, when she was younger, was having a hard time telling me things. She, she was able to share with me that sometimes when she told me big things, she felt like I was disappointed. And even though I was like, oh, I'm not disappointed, she said, but you look like you are. And even if 
it, it didn't matter if she was projecting or if I really was having a disappointed face that I couldn't see. Um, she was telling me it's hard. So what we decided to do was come up with a new way of communicating difficult things. And she um, would write to me in a notebook and then I would read it right back and put it on her bed. And then we'd go back and forth until we felt like we could communicate face to face, but we got all of the big energetic things out first. And, um, it really helped because she was able to share some really significant things with me. In fact, uh, this is my oldest daughter and she came out, uh, when she was a freshman or sophomore in high school. And that's the way she was able to initially come out to us was through writing. And I have a feeling if she didn't have that tool in her toolbox, it would have taken her a little bit, at least maybe longer, longer. or it would have been so much harder where she was able to write this beautiful letter and we were just able to call her right away and be, you know, Mm. you know, be with her and supportive, but it was, it's her. Her, and it's also her way. She's a journaler. She's a dreamer. She's writing is her way of being emotional. Not everybody is good at speaking what they want. Mm-hmm. Some people are much better at writing what they want. So if we can allow our kids to send us notes or texts or whatever it is to start conversations, it doesn't mean that's the only way we have to have conversations, but it's helpful. Um, and before we move on to heard and understood, you mentioned how you communicate in different ways with our daughters. Yeah. Post-it notes, mm-hmm. Instagram. Text. Text. Snapchat. Anything you want to add to that? And not... not like, why do you do that? Because I want to stay in communication with them in whatever way feels comfortable that day. Is that if, like this morning, I missed uh, Cameron left. I was taking Skyler to school. And when I got home, Cameron was already gone. And so I texted her and sent her like a little meme thing. Like, you know, have a great day. Send you good vibes. Because I didn't get to say goodbye. So that's like a way for me to feel connected. And then I often leave them post-its on their door, like, or I send them an article or something or a song that I think they'll really like. It's just a way, like, I, I'm, I'm lucky, blessed, whatever, to have a lot of face-to-face time with my girls, which is great, but it doesn't have to be the only way because sometimes they need more space and sometimes we're all busy and mm. it's just nice to stay in connection. Um, heard and understood. Uh-huh. Uh, we are heard and understood uh, when we begin to believe that we matter. If we believe that our role is to solve problems rather than to be an attentive listener. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you say? Parenting opens up um, oh boy, I'm going to screw this up because my dictation did not. Well, what's your up. question about heard and understood? Why don't you just go off the heart? Um, I don't know. I don't know what my question was. Well, that <clears throat> chapter, like feeling heard and understood, I mean, I guess it kind of connects to what you were saying before is what, what do all human beings want, right? Right. They want to be seen. They want to be heard mm-hmm. and they want to be validated or they want to be known. Yeah. We can say it in different ways, but really the gist is they want to feel like they are known. And we have a tendency to jump to problem solving when we're trying to decrease our own discomfort, right, right. which I'm, you know, I'm totally guilty of. And actually the girls, especially our youngest is really good at calling you out on that. She'll say, I'm just telling you a story. Mm-hmm. I don't really need your feedback about it. Yeah. She And I, the way I just said it sounded disrespectful. I don't think um, she's, she's just kind of like, I'm just telling you a story, dad. I don't really. And she's been really good. The same daughter has been good at saying to me, I'm going to tell you something, but I don't need any advice. Yep. And she and my middle daughter, we were talking about this at uh, lunch the other day and they were saying when it comes to issues with school and their friends they really don't want 
my advice because they're like, you really can't understand what it's like to be ones in middle school, ones in high school, what it's like for us. And even though you can hear us and they tell me the story, they kind of feel like my advice is falls flat, even though I think I got all sorts of things to share. Well, this is a really interesting transition because you say parenting opens up parts of us that we thought we had put away for good. So Mm -hmm. you're talking about their middle school and high Mm -hmm. school problems, Mm -hmm. brings back our positive memories, but also the parts of childhood that we would rather not revisit. Yeah. And you say, I smoked a cigarette for the first time when I was 12 and I had my first drink the same year. Yes. I was so young. And some of my good friends were already sexually active. I had to reconcile these experiences when my own daughter turned turned 12 because Mm -hmm. looking at her made it seem impossible that I was only her age when experiencing so many adult things. Mm -hmm. I I talk about that all the time with like with Todd, like I was 12. (laughs) Um, and there were, you know, I don't really have anything to say about that except I grew up in a small town and I think we were bored. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was very common. Uh, and that was just the way it is and, or what way it was. And then when my oldest daughter was 12, I remember being like, how is this possible? What? Like, how did I think that this was a time? Like, I can't even conceptualize it. And there's actually a wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, based on a true story that Laura Dern is in. And I watched it two or three years ago. And I can't remember what it's called. Maybe you can look it up. It's it's Laura Dern and she is she's abused. Let me say it this way. She believes that she had a relationship with her coach. And she's gone through her life saying, I had uh, my first love was my coach. And, um, and just so you can find it, John Ritter's son is in it, Jason Ritter. So it's Jason Ritter and Laura Dern. And so that's kind of how she's always like processed it. And then all this information comes out where she begins to realize how old she was. She sees pictures of herself when she was in- Was it called The Tale? Yes, The Tale. She sees herself, how old she was when she was in relationship. I'm putting this in air quotes with this coach. And she realized that she was groomed and abused. Mm. But that's not the way her brain had taken it in. And so you can see how like we get our children, sometimes we see the age they are when we've had certain experiences and we like have to reconcile our own past. And it is, it is, uh, it can be challenging. Yeah, I, I don't know how to say it any other way than that. Um, so in closing, the last section is yeah. learning differences. Yeah. And you talk about audi- auditory, visual, and kinesthetic, INFPs, Enneagrams, love languages. I mean, we could talk about yeah. each one of these for an hour. No. So what I will say, the only the way I want to finish with this is the reason I wanted to put this into this chapter about the way we speak is what we have to remember is there's a lot of things out there. Personality tests, like you said, um, you know, different love languages, different ways that we can recognize uh, astrological signs where we can recognize ourselves, right? But there's two parts to it. Number one, it's not all of who we are. So even people who create personality tests will say, this is just an aspect of understanding yourself. So when people identify so closely with something and they'll say, well, sorry, um, you know, I'm a fiery Leo and that's just the way things are. It's not an excuse. And it also doesn't mean you were always a certain way. Like I know what I am on the Enneagram, 
but that doesn't mean that I'm always in that behavior. Sure. That's just a way to understand myself. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to relate, you know, like Todd is a three, I'm a two on the Enneagram. So what is most important to him tends to be something different than what's important to me, but that's not always the case. So it's one of these things that living in the paradox of it can be really, it can be really enjoyable and interesting to understand aspects of yourself, but then it doesn't mean it's all of who you are mm. and it's not how you create an excuse about who you are. Um, there is a, there's many different levels and as long as you're using it in a way that is to understand rather than to create an excuse, I guess I'm repeating what I just said. Well, and I, um, I'm sure we've done a full podcast on the Enneagram. I'm sure we've yeah. done one or two on love languages. Yep. So if you're interested in hearing about at least those two, I don't, what is the INFP one called? Like That's what, a Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's just auditory, visual, kinesthetic. Like when I'm learning something, I mean, I read books sometimes, but the best way for me to like, let's say I'm having a problem with my computer. I'll YouTube it. Yeah. It's so much easier for me to understand if I YouTube it versus Google it and there's an article on it. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because it's easier for me. I don't know. I'm just much more likely to succeed by watching a video on how to do these step-by-step processes. And I'm the other way around. I I need to read the words. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're parents. So can we be friendly with the fact that our kids are not going to learn the way we do? Yes. Yes. Everybody has their own learning style. And instead of trying to have it be something that you think needs to be broken or that it's a bad habit or whatever. It's like, how do they relate to things? Mm -hmm. And can we respect that? And and also remember to put now Mm -hmm. after it. They may relate to things a certain way at two. You know, this is how they relate now. And then it changes when they're five. And can we allow that growth too? Any closing thoughts on chakra five that I didn't ask or we didn't get to? Just that it is, you know communication and the way that we express who we are has so much to do, as I said at the beginning, with all these other aspects of ourselves. And we're we're having a hard time communicating. Sometimes it's not just about finding the right words. It might be tapping into the other chakra awarenesses. Like, you know, I don't know what to say because I'm not quite sure about who I am and what I need. And so a lot of the, I'll use the word healing of chakra five, often comes from other chakra awareness. Um, so I'm going to put on oh, my, are oh, you all right? Yeah. I just you get yourself? my thing off. That happens. Ow, ow. Um, chapter six or chakra six, the right to see tomorrow, experiencing our senses and intuition, the third eye center. Yes. So look forward to having a conversation with you on that. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. Remember to register for our Zen Parenting Virtual Summit, where you will learn from 15 thought leaders and learn more about Kathy's book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering my new book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com resources. It's our new page where you can find everything we do in one place. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we'll talk to you again next week.